Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. Bonus episode. Whoa, oh. another one. In the span yes. of three months? What? In in a single quarter? We have had two bonus episodes? This is unheard of. Yes. And I think necessary to get more of these on the go. Thanks be to you. You suggested this. In fact, you went movie place time. Let's do it for an April 1st Boom. drop. And, and we're here. I mean, leave it to you. Like, of course, you're going to recommend a movie that involves a dragon that wears glasses who's a parole officer. That is the most <laughs> Leland movie in history. <laughs> I don't think you saw me like almost laugh and then I jumped I know. and covered no, it up. No, I totally, yes. Uh, yeah, of course. Because I thought, I immediately thought, oh my God, it's fucking Nicol Bolas, literally. <laughs> and I'm like, nobody else, I'm like, this is not going to be a joke to anybody else. Nobody else will. Now, I'm team Jonathan, which we will get into. My goodness, Jonathan. Okay. But, okay. Well, if the <laughs> if the name of the episode <laughs> did not give it away, we are going to review the Dungeons and Dragons movie Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. I think is the full title. Yes, and I'm looking forward to this. Gino just dedicated to uh, to getting started here, and and honestly, uh, listener, probably more than any of our other bonus episodes, Leland and I walking out of the movie theaters like, don't talk about it. We're going to podcast about it. So I have no clue what he thinks. <laughs> exactly. We got out. We didn't say a single fucking word to each other. We both put both of each other's fingers, one finger to each other's lips as we walked out. We got funny looks as we strolled out of the theater. But this is it. You're getting pure. We literally just came back. We haven't done this since, I think, Blade Runner 2049. I know. I was thinking that. And I was getting <laughs> so excited driving home. I'm like, yes, this. So let's, let's, I mean, listener, we always go the same way with these and it's been years since, since we've done this kind of, uh, watch a movie and immediately review. Uh, but we're going to start with general thoughts and then roll into basically non-spoilery review and discussion. We will end the episode by going full spoilers. You'll get lots of warning. Leland, let's start with you. Uh, non-spoilery, but overall thoughts. I was, uh, quite pleasantly surprised. I thought... The one, the movie, the pacing was good. Um, there may be a, f- a few like slowish parts, maybe right as we start get rolling in, but I felt things just like moved really well. And we got a bunch of like D&D tropes and, and TTRPG tropes sprinkled in. And clearly the writers, uh, one of the writers and director, uh, John Francis Daly, you know, he has a, a started his, his acting career as a young kid on Freaks and Geeks, and they did like this whole promo thing with a few of the Freaks and Geeks characters, like still playing D and D since uh, essentially they were wrapping up their game from <laughs> like when Freaks and Geeks went off air until now they finally finished their D and D game. So, so like they, I think they had the right people on it, and I think it really showed. It, it really showed. Yeah, I'm gonna be about eighty five to ninety percent positive on this review. I was pleasantly surprised like you were so surprised. I think if I were to see it again, I'd laugh earlier because I couldn't realize the movie. Unlike the first old Dungeons and Dragons movie, it wasn't taking itself too seriously. In fact, they really did a good job, in my opinion, of making it kind of feel like you were playing D&D with like a chilled out group. In particular, I felt Certain characters like Chris Pines were almost like a vehicle for the audience as a player if we were in this world. Now, that's just my opinion. 
but you spoke of pacing. I thought it was really good. I thought uh, there was an adventure to be had whenever things started to have a lull, but I thought the adventure that they came up with was fantastic. Like it was not just like cliched punch everyone. Someone shoots one fireball next scene. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and we'll get into specifics, but I mean, one thing that I like, like when people who don't play Dungeons and Dragons, okay, they think like, oh, this is a game of like magic and mystery where around every corner there's a dragon. No, there's not. It's a big deal and you rarely encounter them. But magic, people think, oh, yeah, you're always summoning giant lightning storms. No, one of the things you do in D&D is a lot of little cantrips, a lot of little uh, when you do a check, when you roll your die, it's actually pretty easy to be successful, like a lot of minor uses of magic. And I felt the movie did a really good job just incorporating magic as an everyday thing. Yeah, I I do agree. It's interesting because like, I don't know. I mean, I think generally Dungeons and Dragons is high fantasy, right? So, like you say, lots of, like, everyday use. Like, magic is pretty commonplace. Even, like, low level, I suppose, right? Because I guess the the, the higher tier of, of character is still supposed to be pretty rare, right? Essentially, they're, they're superheroes, right, of the world. Yeah. So, I think uh, on screen, magic in general is just the easiest thing to display. And the easiest thing for people familiar with the tabletop game of Dungeons and Dragons to recognize things because I just, as I would literally throughout the whole movie, I'm like, Oh, ticking off. Okay. Recognize that spell. Recognize. And like, I was like, I got a kick out of like trying to name them and identify them, uh, which I thought was really cool. And like, I didn't, you didn't need, I mean, you needed a few things spelled out for you. Um, you know, there's specific scenes. I'm sure you immediately come to mind as, as I say that, but like it made sense having characters explain to other characters how and what this works was is essentially like getting explained the mechanics of the game, right? That you know, for someone unfamiliar with, oh, how how does how do I how do I long jump? How do I hide? You know, that whatever the example is. Yeah, and I and I, I think there was there was um, a few moments of fourth wall breaking, like you said. It did the movie did not take itself seriously. Like it, it knew exactly what it was. It was just it was super fun. It was just really fun. Yes, and I don't. Yes, rarely I don't really say that about movies. Yeah, you don't. You usually don't enjoy the media you consume, Leland. That is a Leland Steele, like, stable thing. Yeah, like like I always say, it's it's data from Star Trek Generations when he tries alcohol after his emotion trip, chip. You know, he goes, I hate this. I really hate this. And Guinan goes, more? And he goes, please. That's you with media, as I always say. <laughs> But it's nice that you liked something because because I liked it, too. And like I said, it was a pleasant surprise. I want to ask you about characters and I want to give you the opportunity, whether you just thought certain characters were good or they were all good. Who you liked, maybe which characters you felt were lacking amongst the main or supporting cast. Ooh, I think Hugh Hugh Grant's character was probably the weakest just because of the his his role in the plot uh, that he had. And, and again, we're we're in the non-spoiler uh, section. Obviously, Chris Pine's the face of the movie, not just the face of the party. Whatever his class bard, I guess, because he carries a loot. But as far as like a D and D bard, 
he doesn't do much Barty stuff. We don't see him. <laughs> we don't. He doesn't even really fight in it. He's like no. He's he's like the ultimate con person, right? Like he's just yeah. a total total con man in 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 the in the in the film, but also still somehow legitimate. <laughs> like it's really strange. Yeah, it's interesting. Like how they break the fourth wall in so many ways, even subtly, because there's a scene where they ask Chris Pine, "What does he actually do?" Like, what does a character do? Because they've all got skills and they go around saying what they are. And he's like, <laughs> I plan. They're like, okay, well, we can all plan. He's like, no, I plan all the time, guys. I plan A, B, C, even if like C yeah. is the same as A. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so other than Hugh, Hugh Grant, I think uh, Sophia Lillis is a dork. Her druid, um, it felt oftentimes, was kind of just boiled down to a wild shaper. And that was yeah. mostly... Her role in a lot of her scenes was like to be the one that was able to wild shape for a bunch of utility, which is which is obviously really cool. And like if you were playing a druid as a character at a table, it feels awesome to be able to do that stuff. But as far as translating it to a movie, we don't get to see much characterization from her outside of like the setup when they when they kind of first meet her and stuff. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the minor complaints I was going to bring up, and I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler, but she's a tiefling and she mentions in the very beginning, oh, I'm a tiefling. People don't treat me well, so I don't like people. And that's great, but that's like the start of a character arc that she does not at all complete. Like after that point, there is like nothing really about her being a tiefling and as I was driving home from the theater I thought I really could do with like one or two character building scenes with her focused on her accepting her tiefling nature uh but there was nothing you're right it just focused on her shape-shifting which is cool but I thought there should have been a little little more focus on being a tiefling I I agree she was almost like a, a tiefling light because you know literally up until she said on screen I am a tiefling I had no idea she was a tiefling yeah. And maybe that's my biases towards what a tiefling should look like. But yeah, she's got horns and a tail, but like she's just got like normal Caucasian skin, which when I think of a tiefling, I do not think of, I just think of colorful skin, you know, red, blue, whatever, whatever it may be. Maybe that's like just my headcanon of, of a tiefling. So like at first I didn't recognize her to be a tiefling, even though like even all the trailers, she prominently has a set of horns. But I, I don't know. I just wrapped it into like her being a druid. You know, I, I don't know. I, I combine those two. I link them somehow in my brain. Well, she's she's got the messy hair. She's kind of got like a baggy tunic going on. And in things like the horns, which her horns are pretty small, they get lost. Now, I remember her tail when she was introduced, but I do remember a few times for the rest of the movie being like, I haven't seen her tail in a while. And I don't know if she was like hiding it in her shirt or back of her pants or what and maybe it was there if like i watched it again but i didn't really notice it and i noticed that i didn't notice it there was one scene that i'm like oh hey there's her t she's got a tail it's flitting around and then like 30 seconds later she actually uses her tail <laughs> to do oh. something <laughs> and i'm like oh okay of course i see. but you're right like Throughout the rest of the film, uh, it's not like it's just like whipping around and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> obviously that's, that's gotta be like, you know, like budgetary reasons. Like there's no reason they can frame the shot where it's like from her waist up. So you don't really even see where the tail would come out of it, like, like a tailbone. Right. 
So there's, I guess it's just a choice that they, they made. <laughs> yeah. I do agree with you on Hugh Grant being one of the weaker characters. Now, I felt he tried to chew his scenery pretty well. But what I've noticed is Hugh Grant has like a mode. And it's a mode where some director basically says, be like manic Hugh Grant that's just having fun in every scene. And I've seen multiple movies where he acts just like this. Which is like, yeah, I'm a happy and I'm a con man, but, you know, I'm going to be a good con man and yeah, yay, yeah. everything's fun. And it's like, you know, grinning. And that's Hugh Grant in several movies that I've seen now. I felt that the other baddie, who I guess was Sophina, I felt I, I wanted to know more of her backstories. I don't know much about these red wizards. And you can tell me, maybe they're a huge part of D&D. I was too early to see or what, but I, I felt they could have used some more exposition. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I think it was like cool to get what we, what we did get uh, as far as the red wizards. And I mean, like, you know, they, they, they're talking about Baldur's Gate and Faerun and the Harpers and, and um, the Greyhands and the red wizards. It's all like forgotten realms lore. I think that I, I have no idea. I don't know any of it. I don't particularly pay much attention to like canonized Dungeons and Dragons lore specifically. Uh, so like I recognize the names and I can put context to those names for the most part. But like, yeah, I, I, I have just as little information as you do. And I imagine though, that's going to be like another thing probably that someone that's familiar with those things are like, oh, cool. We're actually getting to see these depicted on screen, which is pretty cool. Uh, assuming they did it justice. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting because, I mean, there were certain tropes that I got. Like, you and me laughed when a gelatinous cube makes an appearance. And, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously very famous in the D&D &D world. And I thought what they did with it was, was pretty cool. But I don't think many other people in that movie theater understood why you and I just started cackling at a cube of jelly. Like, they don't get the backstory, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I do think your knowledge... I don't know if I'd call this a negative listener, but I do think more knowledge of D&D &D tropes in culture and history will benefit your enjoyment of this movie, for sure. Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, like I said, I, I like I don't feel like the movie was beating your head over, you know, beating you beating you over the head um, to try to explain it, uh, things like like in the cube. I mean. I guess there's a spoilers that there's a cube in the movie. There's a cube in the movie, but I mean, come on. It's fucking spoilers. There's also a dragon in the movie. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think uh, through the scene where they encounter it, it's very quick. Like you very quickly uh, realize what the thing does. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's state, it's stationary. It burns you if you make contact with it and it's real goopy and you could get stuck in it kind of thing. So I think like, that kind of stuff is like explained through either minimal throwaway di lines of dialogue. Maybe throwaway is like, I don't mean to like say that negatively. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean like offhand remarks or like in the heat of the moment, throwing out a, a, a remark like you would potentially in the middle of a combat sitting at a table being like, like your character would voice out a line within the, the confines of the round that you're taking your actions and kind of thing. But uh, ultimately, though, yes, I agree with you. I think you you will get um, you'll just get more enjoyment. I don't think it's it's a barrier to the enjoyment, 
But I certainly, yeah, when you get to recognize things and like see a, a, a live action depiction of things that you've probably potentially been imagining in your head for 30 years, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I don't feel like they overused the D&D history, which I like. Like it, it was there and in certain points of this plot, it was key, but it was not too, too fan servicey. Now, there are some questions about fan service that I have for you. One in particular best kept for spoiler section, so I won't bring that up right now. But I guess what I would ask you is to focus. I hate to say it, but you got to do it in this section as well. What did you not like? I don't think there's a glaring thing that I didn't like. Like, I don't think there's like a glaring fault that is, that is the sole reason that my rating is going to be what my rating is going to be. Uh, which we can give a we can give ahead of the time going into spoilers, but I I don't know maybe I'll let's let's continue talking and I th- I'm sure we'll unser- uh, uncover things that are were annoying or or, or didn't seem right. Uh, I think I'll be able to say more things in the spoiler section because there's a lot of it is like plot specific stuff that uh, that kind of that annoyed me. I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that that annoyed me too. I think what I can say that's non-spoilery, one of the major issues I had is the climax where the big bad is trying to do her big bad thing. Um, She's trying to do it to a mass of people. I think it would be very, very obvious to those people that something was wrong and that maybe it was time to flee. (laughs) Like, that was my number one thing. And I'm not usually a person who focuses on logic and plots. Like, I can... Man, you know some of the movies I enjoy. Like, I can enjoy, you know, dog shit, basically, as a movie, (laughs) as long as it's entertaining. (laughs) That bothered me, and we'll get into the... We'll touch on the specific of that later, but that did bother me. Oh, okay. I, I, I did actually think of something. So, um... I think the glaring negative for me on this whole movie is that it it really wasn't until the very end of the film, the climax, where we actually got to see the party like working together. Yes. Now, obviously, I guess that makes sense is a few of them have just met each other for the first time as they're going out and going on their adventure. But... There was just like a lot, there was just more times the focus was put on a single character to be a badass rather than getting to see them work together and be badasses as an ensemble. I think I wanted, maybe uh, if we could have had a little more, more of that, it doesn't have to be all like four or five or six of them or whatever it is. Right. But I was, I was really hoping we would get to see some of that. Um, There's a specific part with uh with their paladin buddy that i was like okay that's this is like the action was really good i thought the action was good um there were times that i I, it was happening really fast and i had trouble like keeping up with exactly what was happening but in that specific scene that we can talk about more in spoilers i wanted to see everybody getting in on it because there was like a squad of goons and i was like why can't we get to see some of the underlings getting taken out by some of the other par- other party members. Like, what's going on? Yeah, if that scene was approximately halfway through the movie, I think we're talking about the same scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll wait for you. Because it did give this feeling of like, 
look what I can do. I'm person B and I can do this, this, and this to bail us out. And then five minutes later, you'd have the next person in the party go, well, oh, I'm the only person who has an idea or way to solve this one problem. And they step forward. And you're right, at the end, it was really cool because when they do fight a big bad and it almost felt Avengers to me, but in a good way, it felt like the original Avengers where at the end, like they're all taking on Loki. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that was cool. That does lead me actually into an unexpected positive, which I told you right before we, we started recording, I was going to bring up. Justice Smith is in this movie. I have never found him like a particularly good actor, like nepotism vibes all over. But I actually thought he really did a good job, as I believe Simon the somewhat non-confident sorcerer i i just bought him like if you if you didn't tell me that was justice smith and you told me that was just like a guy playing this role i'd be like okay cool like he did a pretty good job maybe like it's such a low bar (laughs) is why i'm bringing it up but yeah the the acting in general i think was was on point with maybe the exception of hugh grant who was a little over the top i almost (sighs) You just, you say that and like I agree I think uh, Justice Smith was 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 really he was like him and Chris Pine like he stood up with Chris Pine you know what I mean like yeah and like Chris Pine is 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 a, like this is a very Chris Pine role you know what I mean like yes he's he's nearly playing his role like he had in the Wonder Woman movies you know like this yep. quick talking quick witted handsome do gooder guy kind of thing you know what I mean like that's like Chris Pine Chris Pine's like he was born to play that, you know what I mean? And it's funny as I'm saying those words, uh, getting into my complaint about Michelle Rodriguez, talking about how I feel like Michelle Rodriguez just is it, it been typecast her entire career. Yeah, and and you can say the same about uh, say say the same thing about Chris Pine uh, to to for a lot of his roles, you know what I mean? But like I don't think Michelle Rodriguez's character got enough in the script. No. I agree with you. And in fact, I thought of it. I had a thought near the end of the movie where I'm like, Michelle Rodriguez is a badass. She's been in a bunch of movies that I grew up with. I I hate to break it to her. I mean, we're all getting up there in age. But like when I was a teenager was when she was like starting to be close to her peak as a badass, like Resident Evil 2002. She was fantastic. Uh, Some of the Fast and the Furious movies. And I do think it's badass that, you know, at her age, whatever, mid 40s, close to 50, she's still in great shape. She can still obviously do the action. But you're right. They didn't give her much else to do except to be a brute. There was some comic relief. I haven't looked it up. Oh, no, it'd be a spoiler if I brought it up. But her ex-boyfriend seemed to be a very famous actor and i don't know if i'm <laughs> right about that or not i'll have to look that up i think you are i think you are uh i think we're ready to move into spoilers so you want to give our ratings then we can spoilers. yeah I, I i think we should give ratings and then then go spoilers um but let's start with you leland what's your what's your rating i'm gonna give it a solid seven out of ten okay i do you want to elaborate on that or do you just want to throw it back to me i just think uh i think the the like the movie didn't blow me away, you know. What I mean, like it's for me personally, it's still fantasy, uh, which I think I've mentioned numerous times is is not the highest uh, genre uh, of film and or medium in general on my on my 
uh, appreciation list. But I think they, I don't know that they could have done a better job with it. That's what I'm saying. But I also think that because of the history of Dungeons and Dragons itself, they couldn't have made a 10 out of 10 movie, you know, or nine or a 10 out of 10 movie. Maybe seven's a little low, but I, I feel pretty good at a seven. I think a seven's a great rating. Yeah. And I mean, if listeners been listening to us for years, the trope, which is pretty much true, is that you're hard on rating, which is fine. I think that's great that you're not too generous. I'm much more generous. And I, I promise I pre-thought of this rating before we recorded. I was going to give it 7.5, which is what I do give it. At about an 8.5 is a movie that I'm pretty sure I'll own. And by like a 9, it's like for sure I'll own it. This is not a movie I would buy. One of my minor criticisms of it is I don't think there's a lot that you could miss why you'd be like, oh, I really need to rewatch that movie and see what happened in this scene. Pretty simple plot, lots of action and adventure, easy to follow, but not much replayability. For that reason, I give it a 7.5. I was expecting the movie to be like a 5.5 or a 6. I got to be honest. After the first <laughs> D&D movie, which I didn't like, which I saw right as I was getting into D&D, I had hoped it would be inspiration. It was not. But this was a, this was much improved, funny, entertaining, but ultimately probably not something I'm going to think about much once we're done podcasting about it. So 7.5 for me. I think that's incredibly fair. You are right. Uh, I don't think there's much rewatchability with with this one at all. Also, I don't think you really need to see this in the theaters. No, no. Uh, the special effects, they're okay. I mean, I could bitch about modern special effects forever. And there was some stuff they did with puppetry, vehicles like horse carriages, stuff like that that seemed to be practical, which I really appreciated. I think the low the low point for the CGI was a few of the wild shape moments. Yes, absolutely. They were pretty lacking. Yeah, whatever company they hired did not know their creatures that well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's go into spoiler territory. Um, do you have anything pressing? So listener, I mean, I, I don't want to just like slip this in. This is the official spoiler warning. Do not listen past this point unless you want spoiler. <laughs> okay, you've been warned. Spoilers. Yes, you have been warned. Uh, you are correct that Holga's former lover is Bradley Cooper as a hobbit, okay. which was great. That is, yeah. Is and great. so uh, apparently the comedy group Auntie Donna, which I know you're a friend of, provided yes. voices. They provided voices for corpses for the Australian release of the film, apparently. Oh, <laughs> I am going to have to look that up on YouTube. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Hugh Grant's character. I mean, it make it makes sense that he turned out to be like the villain, like the villain in like a group of villains, you know, like they're all thieves and stuff. But I think it like it made sense. And I think, like you said, he chewed the scenery perfectly. Like, I think he was great in the role. Just he didn't have much. You know, he didn't he didn't get much uh, it was maybe more accurate to say. Also, like when you see a freaking lady walking around pale as a fucking ghost and dark circles around her eyes i don't give a fuck what color she's wearing she's clearly a fucking <laughs> evil person like jesus 
Especially, like, does he not know I'm in D&D? Look at this one. <laughs> everybody, though, everybody that everybody sees her is. has to know, oh, that bitch is a red wizard. Like, <laughs> come on. I, I agree with that. I felt like Hugh Grant's character, when you actually drill down his meaning to the plot, is pretty small. He takes care slash, you know, kidnaps Chris Pine's daughter. And his sole job beyond that is to get all the town's people together in a coliseum. Not difficult, but that's it. And like, literally, he's, you know, trying to make himself seem like he's a big pompous character. And when like Red Queen Sorceress Lady knows she's got all the people together, she's just like, get the fuck out. Like, just go. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's all he is to the plot. Let's be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, the problem is like we only see him as a character for like 45 seconds before he turns, right? It's like right away you're like, oh shit, he's a he's a douche and he's fucked over the bard and the barbarian, you know? Yeah. Uh, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez's characters. So like we don't, it's funny though. So the, the other minds that I had watching this film was thinking of how I would roll out the plot if we were sitting at a table. And- that is obviously the perfect thing to do. The if the a dungeon master would be like, all right, this character's family member is in peril, it's driving that character to this adventure. Right? Like, like the decisions and like the plot were as simple as it was, like everything did make sense to me. You know what I mean? As far as motivations, um, and it was like it was enough again for what this movie is and what this movie is really representing, it was enough for me. Uh, whereas I think even though you like, I even though I got only got a seven, I think maybe I I, I am giving it a little more leeway, uh, just because of its origin. I think. Yeah, yeah. One thing I thought that was a little off was Chris Pine's character, is such a good talker, but early on, after he escapes the glasses wearing dragon glasses wearing dragon parole officer. They they meet up with Hugh Grant's character, and I felt that Chris Pine and and the daughter, the long lost daughter, I felt that Chris Pine had an adequate opportunity to actually explain what was going on. It's not that complex. It's yeah, I raided this place to get a special item that'll bring your mom back, and I felt like he was like stumbling over his words to just say that. And Hugh Grant's like, oh no, you're just in for the treasure. And Chris Pine's like, oh, well, oh, yeah, it was shiny. Uh, well, you know, I'm a bad dad. <laughs> I'm like, just say you were going for an amulet to get her mom back. Like, how difficult is that to say? And it causes a situation where, you know, he's cast back out into the proverbial desert with his crew and has to come back again late in the movie. And be like, no, this is why I, you know, did what I did. I, I didn't like that. I know I agree because it's like in that scene too, like his daughter, it clearly has no problem with Holga, right? As you see her, she like very abruptly runs past her dad to hug her, to hug Holga rather than Chris Pine's character. But so, so you, everything that Chris Pine's character was saying was backed up by Holga, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. This is kind of one of those, one of those times where, the plot was railroaded, quite frankly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I didn't I didn't much like that. <laughs> Typical us. Focusing on the negatives as soon as we get into the spoiler section. We talk about, 
all these positives. <laughs> yeah, I do want to say I know I want to go. Let's go. I want to go back to the the lack of uh, ensemble scenes because when they're in the underdark looking for the helm, and the paladin uh, Yendar just tools the hell out of a group of like zombie assassins or whatever the hell they are. Why couldn't we have had them all fighting in that scene? I, I don't get it. Like, why couldn't... Because literally you had... The whole party is just standing there 20 feet away watching the paladin fuck this group up. And yeah, it was it was cool. That that was one of... That's the scene, though. Like, there it was... A lot of it was pretty fast for me. So it was difficult to tell what exactly was going on. But also, like, you see him start... Like, he starts to struggle. And he's almost about to get stabbed before it he turns it around himself but if an entire adventuring party is looking and watching that happen like none of them are intervening like it didn't make any sense it was just yeah so i don't know i just wanted more out of that i think i mean it was cool that they were like zombies and they came back and they're like all right we gotta get the fuck out of here (laughs) because i did what i could do and that's it but also he didn't he didn't fucking smite anybody as a paladin he put a holy weapon that's cool but he didn't fucking smite a single one of those dudes I wanted him to slash that final guy and then a fucking boom blast of radiant light. Totally. So I knew that he smited the shit out of that guy. But it didn't happen. That is my other main criticism that I couldn't say outside of the spoiler section. Very low consequence. Nobody, I should say, truly dies because Michelle Rodriguez gets revived. Nobody truly dies. Predictable. Even Hugh Grant's character doesn't die. He's the most expendable character (laughs) to just kill in some way. And he's clearly made to seem alive. Even the big bad Safina, she she takes a beating and she's presumed dead, but much stranger things have happened in movies. Like, you're not sure she's dead. She gets thrown against a wall, covered in boulders from a distance, and there's a quick cutaway. Like, anything could happen. After the druid goes all Hulk and Loki on her. (laughs) I noticed that, too. I wonder, because you and I snickered at the beginning, because, like, that very opening scene with with the big, like, like, burly creature being brought into the prison, that was way too Jurassic Park to not be influenced by Jurassic Park. It was like shot for shot, but instead of tasers, it's crossbows. They, they put the thing on its rolly track, have to like seal the door. And, (laughs) and I'm like, clever girl is just going to walk out of here. It's like a dragonborn, but her name's going to be clever girl. It was cool. It was cool. But, but again, what I'm saying is a long winded way backing you up that that scene with, with shapeshifter bashing the big bad Sophina, that seems very inspired by Hulk and Loki from Avengers. 100%. Oh, yeah. Like, undoubtedly, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, the plot itself was, like, pretty, very predictable. I mean, yeah, of course they're going to use the stone on Michelle Rodriguez, which to me still doesn't really make, I mean, I guess it's because, like, Again, you're not beat over the head with it, but like Michelle Rodriguez's character was really the only mother that Chris uh, Chris Pine's daughter knew growing up. So rather than use this stone of resurrection to bring back his wife that his daughter never knew as a mother and blah, blah, blah. And we, we got that through dialogue, so that's fine. It's just like, okay, of course that's going to happen. I didn't even notice, I, I don't know if you noticed in the fight, but did you notice the Red Wizard stab Michelle Rodriguez? No, I did not, which was weird. 
And then suddenly she's like on the ground with a dagger in her heart. I was like, whoa, okay, when did that? I didn't even see that happen at all. I don't even remember the dagger, to be quite honest. Same, I, I thought Safina was fighting with magic the whole time. Yes. Yeah. So I think there may have been something, unfortunately, left on the cutting room floor there. Maybe. Uh, but it's sloppy nonetheless. It's quite sloppy. And then also her, quote unquote, dying and then being brought back, like, wasn't impactful. One, because you know that they're going to bring her back, I guess. Yeah. But also because when her character was one of the weakest as far as characterization, it didn't really matter. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't matter. It didn't matter emotionally to me. And I think that was a faux pas in the movie because I think they were trying to make it emotional. They were doing flashbacks with the real mom, but also Michelle Rodriguez taking care of the baby. But it didn't have that emotional impact because they didn't do enough to make you care for Michelle Rodriguez's character. In fact, they kind of made her expendable that like, yeah, if you were going to kill one of the good guys and, you know, it's like the daughter weeps, eh, but let's go get mommy. It's like I would have <laughs> I would have believed that as well. I think the only redeeming part of that scene for me was that Chris Pine does not make the decision. Now, yes. whether that was determined or not, he finally gives agency to someone else, his daughter, instead of always having to pretend to be in charge. And and the daughter chooses who to save. So I did like that. Yeah, I liked it. You know, what was also confusing about rodriguez's characterization was like she okay so she's a barbarian so she's showing some like stereotypical barbarian like burly gruff um lacking in some social cues obviously nothing compared to the paladin that they meet but but then there's there's like oh but she's also like still very motherly and protective to uh to bug she calls the kid but then early on in the movie she's talking about shooting an arrow randomly into the kid's room. And if it hits her, that's the risk they're going to take. Ooh, that's a good point. Right? So I don't know. I felt, I felt she was wibbly wobbly sometimes. And I think it was just in the writing of the character. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think you discovered certainly a consistency in writing air because yes, now that you say it, I remember the shoot the arrow through the window scene and that is not congruent with her character made out for the rest of the movie. We see her, inter and especially interacting with a kid, like, yeah, didn't make any, any sense at all. Yeah, so you're right. I, I didn't like that. Um, But on the happy side, I mean, I do want to dive into Bradley Cooper. So, listener, if you're not going to see it and you're just listening for spoilers, but so you you know that um, Helga or whatever her name is, Michelle Rodriguez. Holga. Holga. She, she has this man that she left her tribe because she loved. And when you meet him, it's like this little hobbit guy played by Bradley Cooper. And he's like <laughs> the opposite. He's like nice and just wants to create like a nice cottage with flowers and cook yeah. dinner every night. But then like he has an even bigger giant woman that he's been with for like a year. So it's like giant women love him. He loves yeah. them. Oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I guess he's a he's a halfling of his D&D, not hobbits. You're right. I use the trademark name for a halfling. I see. I think I said Hobbit at first, I think. Yeah. <laughs> halfling. But yeah, no, he, he was really good. Yeah, I think we, we discussed Tiefling Girl. I mean, she was good other than the negatives we kind of discussed in the non-spoilery section. Simon, I think we went over. I liked his arc. 
I did find it a little odd. Like he has his helmet and his helmet really makes him much more powerful if he yeah. can only sink to keep it. it on. But when he puts the helmet on, he sees his grandfather who insults him and then he takes it, takes the abuse and the helmet flies off his head. And this happens a number of times. And so to properly fuse with the helmet, he has to punch the ghost of his grandfather. And that's it. And it's like, well, it wasn't okay. his actual grandfather. It was a manifestation of his doubts. Right. So it was him, right? And obviously, I guess those doubts factor into his heritage and he doesn't live up to his name. And that's how it's why it, and why it is manifesting as like a long lost ancestor of his, like holding him back and being a barrier to him achieve, achieving his potential. It's is really just him, which I, I agree with you. I think it's a good, I think it's a great character arc. What's your problem with it? It didn't make sense. I, I just felt like maybe he should have had an intellectual battle versus just like punching it. I, I didn't think that was really congruent with his character. Maybe, but I see he's a sorcerer, though. So that's also the other thing. <laughs> when you think about it, mechanics as far as the, the actual game, sorcerers use, in 5th edition, use charisma. He's not very charismatic. He's no. not very smart. But it kind of makes sense, though, because he's actually a wild magic sorcerer, which you see, like... He tries to cast something and something else happens entirely differently, which I which was cool. And and, I'm, and from the moment we see him in the theater and like the gravity thing, I was like, oh, he's a wild magic sorcerer. Duh, of course, which, again, is another thing. Another thing that was cool to recognize and pick up on. Right. Yeah, no, that that's cool. And I'm not even though I play D&D a few times, I'm not good enough or deep enough in it to recognize a wild magic sorcerer. But that is cool now that you bring it up. And like, I don't want to get nitpicky too much because I really did like the movie and I don't want to focus on negatives too much. Humor, I thought, was really good once I found out where we're going. I really liked the scene in the battlefield where they're asking, they, they've, they've got an amulet and they can ask these dead soldiers five questions. And it starts out like they're accidentally, oh, and once they ask five questions, listener, then the the corpse returns dead forever and they can never revive it again. So they they revive the first few and they're like totally buggering up with their questions and like sending them back to sleep or death without getting answers. I like that. Of course, there's the comic relief of the soldier that just died getting out of the bathtub. <laughs> He's like, yeah, there's all there is. I just got out of the bathtub and I hit my head. I slipped. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, you, you want my brother, not me. My brother, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that's me and my brother who's been on the show. Which, which one would slip and die in the bathtub? I'm not going to admit, but uh, I think I know who it was. Um, but yeah, that, they, that was a funny scene. A lot of it was pretty creative. A lot of what they did was pretty creative. I was going to ask you the fat dragon who you see this like obese dragon and he has a name. Is is he in any of the books that you know of? I have no idea. And I don't know if he's like supposed to be like a pudgy dragon or something like it was. OK, so how, what I, how I interpreted that watching it again in the mindset of like running a game is like, oh, I want to use a dragon, but I have to reduce its CR, its challenge rating. So my, to fit my, the appropriate level of my party because, and 
yeah, if you do that, just throw a fatter monster at your party. <laughs> hey, I, I did that myself. If you remember my brown emaciated dragon. I do. In the desert, I do remember I had this. to do yeah. that. And in fact, it was funny because as we were watching this movie and I saw this super fat dragon and he had some webbing, I wondered if he was a brown type dragon. I was like, that is the opposite of the dragon I made, yet they're still weakened. <laughs> I was like, okay, one's weakened by fat, one's weakened by, you know not having enough food and and you're right it was interesting that way yeah i thought that was a pretty good scene too okay so you don't know who that dragon is i'm trying to think if there's other bits of lore i well i mean we could go back to the gelatinous cube which i thought was really well done because you see like objects in it and even like Mm -hmm. full skeletons and when they do touch it several times and it starts to digest them even after a few seconds so i thought that was kind of Kind of cool. I really like the Displacer Beast in the maze because like Displacer Beast yes. is like one of my favorite D&D monsters. I just think they're so cool. And I don't even know why. They're like a low, low-ish level monster. And I have think I've run them in a combat like one time years ago. I just really like them as a, as a creature. So it was super cool to see them. I was disappointed when they were in the Underdark going for the helm uh, with the Intellect Devourers because... All I wanted to see was a mind flare uh, to yeah. pair up with the with the intellect devourer. So I think they should have used something else because one, they the intellect devourers just walked right by them because yeah, they very anticlimactic, stupid, didn't make any sense. They should have used a different monster. They could have used like a gibbering a gibbering mouther or or whatever, a fucking like dusk mantle, anything other than a fucking intellect devourer. Like there's so many goddamn terrible, horrifying creatures in the underdark. And that was really the only creature other than the dragon that we saw in the Underdark. And the only, like, Underdark-specific thing, which I think they could have maybe devoted a little more time to. Just because, like, the Underdark has, has, like, is another thing that's, like, has a very long history. And, like, what was the place they were even in? Why were there statues everywhere in this abandoned city? Like, what the hell's going on? We didn't even get to see any drow. They're like, come on, show us some fucking drow. Like, anything. We got drow. We need drow here. We need drow here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I agree with that. And and I wasn't particularly familiar with those intellectual beasts or whatever, but they didn't even look at the members of the party who were more intelligent, which was explicitly mentioned, but then they just all walked by normally. Yeah, I just, I kind of did a double take. I was like, uh, but again, None of those classes that we're seeing on screen would actually need to be super intelligent, more intelligent than the average person. Even the sorcerer? Because again, as for the mechanics of the game, sorcery is charisma-based, not intelligence. So I don't know. I guess it makes sense. But like sometimes they care about that. Other times they don't throughout the movie. You know, like there's nothing, there's no like actual like consistency, which... Doesn't really matter, I guess. But also, I guess if we're gonna if we're gonna get nitpicky, even though he said he didn't want to, he just can attune to it as quickly as he fucking wants. Why can't anybody else attune to it? Why couldn't Chris Pine put the helmet on? I mean, yeah, I guess exactly. the druid can't because it wouldn't fit on her on her horns. But why the fuck not? <laughs> I know. Like all you would have to do is just punch your bad memory of yourself, and you could be like <laughs> this this arcane person. One thing I did like, and I. I heard you laughing too. So you liked it a lot too. Was um, Simon the Sorcerer's critical fail with Chris Pine as like a decoy 
at the castle. Yes. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> the illusion. Yeah. He, like that was like some of the best CGI in the whole movie too. It's like, it's like he critically fails because his foot gets stuck. And so Chris Pine is like playing a bard song for these soldiers, distracting them. And like his like face starts to warp and his eyes bulge. He starts to go like liquidy and it's just hilarious. Cause like the soldiers are like, what, what is going on? This is what not normal. Fuck? What devilry is this? <laughs> it must be religion. Another good thing um, that I noticed a few times was when, whenever we, there was like chatter from nameless NPCs, like when in the theater, when we meet Simon and he's pickpocketing and then one guy goes, He's what the hell does he say? He's uh he's nicking our uh he said weird nifties like, or something. Yeah, like <laughs> I don't know what he said. It was so funny. But <laughs> the way he said it and how like straightforward it is, is it just reminded me so much exactly of how I would like give a line to a, a throwaway line to an NPC <laughs> to start like a combat or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it really did it really did nail the feeling of D D overall for me. And that's opinion based because I know you could have parties with all sorts of, you know, personalities of the players and whatnot. But our group ideally is a bit more lighthearted and fun. And I really felt that through D&D. You know, I almost want someone like my mom to watch it, who's one of those people grew up in the 70s, 70s hearing that, you know, people were dying playing D&D in like dark boiler rooms of universities. I mean, I don't think she ever would, but like, just give her this movie and be like, look, this is what D&D actually was for me and T-Hud. And it was like, it, you know, it wasn't like filled with demons and pentagrams and stuff like that. You know, it was just like fun fantasy. Well, they, I mean, they even freaking whitewashed the tiefling. They even the, 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 they did. the race with demonic blood, they didn't depict as being demonic whatsoever. <laughs> She no, was like it, this cute little pixie. She was like a she was like a little pixie more than anything. Totally. Like the most red you saw in her was just like a few freckles, which the actress normally <laughs> has. And it's like, right. come on. Yeah. So you're you're right. They they washed that. What did you think of the portal staff? I, I liked it. But did you think it was overused? I was going to ask you. No, I, I mean, I thought it was cool. And I, I think it was I mean, obviously it was like. A contrivance that they happen to have it realize they have it at the exact time they need it but i think like getting the the putting it on the painting and right and and the carriage like that whole scene was really cool and it was just like again like i'm thinking about it i'm thinking it as in, in ways of like a bunch of players around the table coming up with a way to use the items they have in creative ways i it was really cool i really liked it and then, I mean, we get the payoff with the portal in the mouth of Hugh Grant on the balloon oh, spewing yeah. gold <laughs> across the city. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, that and was Hugh really Grant's good. in there, too. He's, like, in the mouth of his own balloon being like, <laughs> no, all my gold. I agree with you, though, that how about the red mist descending from the sky that is turning everything into fucking undead? To get you up out of your seat and running out of the stadium rather than gold. You follow a trail of gold from a hot air balloon out of the city. Oh, well, I guess if we sit here, we get turned into the undead forever in slavery. Well, I guess we'll wait. Oh, but gold. Now I'll leave. <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, look at what's happening, you idiots. That was so bad. That was so bad. It was so weird. let's 
Listener, if you're not going to see it, like literally it is a very slow spell that Safina, the big dad has. She's like calling these clouds and it's like slowly forming funnel clouds, focusing over the Coliseum and like nobody cares or thinks to run or is like, oh, in this world of magic we live in, this usually is not a good thing. Maybe I should move. But they don't. And you're right. <laughs> then this like, I guess it's wrong to say slow moving red cloud stuff, but she summons this cloud stuff, turns people into undead. And finally they move. I did find it interesting in that scene. Did you notice that how all the rich people are almost playing a game of D&D at the Coliseum? As, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because like the, they, they basically have a model that is dynamic and moves with the what's happening mm-hmm. at the Coliseum. So they can wager bets. Gridded map with the miniatures on it, essentially, is what they have. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was cool. Now, there are like people got zombified. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not an entire stadium full of people that are now zombies, but there's still going to be some zombies up there. Like, how come we didn't get to see them down with like, you know, it's just like the the end fight was. Like there was lots of cool things with the end fight. And I think overall it was it was a good climax to the film. I think it was cool getting to see like two like Big B's hands square off and like the red wizard's hand was super cool and disgusting and like flayed. So that was dope. Um That was dope. Yeah, that was super cool. And she like comes down with like what had to have been like a fucking meteor swarm as she rains down on the city. Like lots of cool stuff. Yeah, I think it was great. I think it was well. I think all the all the action was pretty well choreographed too. Yes, yeah, I agree with that, and and that's where I mentioned that um, even if it was over reliance on CGI, just so much magic is used in pretty cool ways in the fights. You know that I like that. Besides that, ultimately, like I like the movie, but why I gave it a seven point five is it's going to be a relatively forgettable movie moving forward in my life. How well do you think it's going to do? Do you think we're going to see a sequel within two years? I would say no. Um, I don't want to judge based off a Thursday night dinner time showing. As you said, movie release dates don't matter before. The movie's now released like three days before in an afternoon. Right. But, but the theater was pretty empty and it had the wrong crowd there, I would say. I'm just saying that straight up for whatever reason, there was at least two families with very young kids who were scared and like said, <laughs> we're scared mommy and daddy. Why'd you bring us here? So I don't want to judge beast off that, but I would, my sense, my intuition is telling me it's not going to perform well. So it looks like they're, they're projecting about 40 million opening weekend. Yeah, what what about you? Like what do you what do you think it'll do? I mean, I fuck, I don't know. How how can you even tell anymore? Like you literally can't how do you judge that stuff anymore? I don't I don't even know how you ever really could. Um and I have no grasp on how well a movie is or isn't gonna do at the box office. But I mean, on that topic, right at the very beginning of the movie, we had a little like PSA of all the actors in the in it saying, Thank you for coming to the theater and spending your money in the yeah. theater. That was weird. That was weird. That that now that you mention that, that was weird. And listener, it's exactly what Leland's saying. It's the main actors from this movie 
calling the audience heroes, literally, for paying to see a movie in a theater. So, yeah, it, it was very almost beggy. Like, they were like, you know, like, thank you for coming and spending your money on our little film. <laughs> yeah, please keep coming back. So, actually, it looks like it had a $150 million budget. I don't think it's going to make much more than its budget. Oof, no, and when you consider, like, marketing expenses, which aren't yeah. put in that. I mean, we're at, D, we're, we're at imdb.com. Who has the huge banner take over the entire site ad for IMDb? It's this movie. Right. So. I don't know. I'd be surprised if it makes over 300 million. Yeah, I'd be surprised worldwide. I don't know what. So like, think of this in the context of like our last bonus episode we had on the OGL thing. And essentially the uh, president of the Wizards or the executive, uh, the EP of Wizards or whatever, whatever the hell her title is, Catherine, I think her name is like what they must have a number that they're shooting for in mind, right? Like somebody somewhere has cited, all right, 300 million on this budget on X budget, then we'll, we're making another one. And we succeeded in what we went and what we wanted to do. Like, how are they, how are they going to measure whether or not this is like, uh, was, or is, or was a good move to, to have taken and continue to take in their road to making Dungeons and Dragons a billion dollar franchise. I would agree with you that they have a number. I have no freaking clue what that number is, but I would agree they have a number. And it's very traditional Hollywood in that it sets up for a sequel. All your mean good guys are there. They're all happy, hunky-dory with each other. Even how the film is named, like it's it's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves. It's like it's a chapter in a future movie and i'm sure they did that purposefully to to leave it open right a uh, dumb title also by the way yeah dumb title because it's like are they really trying to regain honor and like only a couple of them are really thieves like on the good and bad guy side so i mean like it's like bullshit like robin hood crap you know uh, at least they try to explain it that way. Oh, and we don't usually hurt people. We take from those who will barely notice it being missing and yada, yada, yada. And it's again, it's like you can be like scoundrels and the audience still like you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we had some scoundrels in our D&D games. That's for sure. <laughs> I've been there I'm before. trying to think of like what everyone's alignment is. Obviously, like it was OK. I think the 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 paladin was a great like high level NPC that they encounter and get help with on a quest kind of thing. Like yeah. in the grand scheme of the movie, like I think it was really great. Clearly like the most lawful good you're ever going to see depicted on screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was hilarious because he really has no flaws. He's kind of like a, I guess they would call it a Gary, Gary Sue. <laughs> Gary Sue. That that is actually the official term for a male Mary Sue character. But I thought, even though he was a Gary Sue, I did I did notice him as that kind of good NPC who helps you helps take like a difficult dungeon and help you rock it because he can like tank everything, which is what he does. Yeah, it's exactly what he, he literally did. <laughs> does. That he just like tanks. Yeah, so I I like that. I didn't think he was going that direction. Like uh, the the actor Roger Jean Page. I mean, he's been in lots of stuff. He's pretty cool. I thought he was going to be in it a little bit more. Like I thought once he joined the party, 
roughly halfway through the movie. I thought he was going to be in it until the end, but he walks in a very straight line away from them. (laughs) An excruciatingly straight line. How's he going to get over that rock? He just walked right over it. Steps right over it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's almost like, was he going to turn into that... uh, that character played by like Nick Jonas from Jumanji, where he just like starts to repeat himself at the very end. He's like, oh, and have yeah. a good trip yeah, and yeah, have yeah. a good trip <laughs> and have a good trip. <laughs> okay. But say, okay, let's think of like sequel. Would you want to see this party again? Or would you want these movies to be like one shots? Like we just get to see a whole new cast of characters and a whole new story. And, Maybe they can refine some of the development. I th- and again, I think like we've agreed a lot of the development in this one as a as like a quote unquote one shot as if you're playing a game really worked. I think a lot of it worked really well. I, I mean, my serious answer to that question is I, I would love to see a spinoff with with like Simon and his little tiefling girlfriend. The druid. Yeah. The druid, Dekar, whatever her name is, I guess Doric. I would love to see them two like together and form a party to do a completely new adventure because I do like the idea that Chris Pine, his daughter and Holga Holgar um, Holga just like finally settled down. I, I like the idea of that and that they had the closest thing to happily ever after. I mean, if, if you're being quite honest, that's where I would go with a sequel. Where, where would you go? I I honestly like the sound of that because I uh, I think both of those characters uh, were interesting I, and I think like you say we don't as much as we as much as I bitch about like Michelle Rodriguez's character not having much as far as development I don't think there's really any place for her to go yeah same with Chris Pine's character I just I think both of them like you said they're kind of at their end of what of their adventuring like we've yeah. seen them we're like yeah we we met them at the kind of the end the tail end of this life i think this adventuring life that makes sense to me that they would not be doing it anymore yeah and is that honestly not the ultimate reward for your characters in a pen and paper rpg i mean so many characters die or you don't finish their story and i think it's the ultimate honor is to just wish a character you love farewell and they live an idyllic simple life as far as you can tell after. And I think that would be a great reward for the three of them. And again, just focus on the adventures of the the younger ones. I would not go, like I would not rehash the big bads. I would go like completely different direction, whether it's a dragon or Trask or something like that. Go with one of the big, big bads, but not don't go back to Hugh Grant or the Red Wizards. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much shit they can draw and they could make up whatever shit they want. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it seems I just I wonder how or what kind of direction that like Wizards was giving the writing team of this movie uh, as far as what uh, the bounds of what to work within. You know, it's from from like established lore whether or not it is still canon or not in 5e or where we are in Forgotten Realms or Faerun or whatever the fuck it is versus like what they can like make for themselves because isn't that like the ultimate also the ultimate goal for the creators of the game slash movie in this instance to make this really interesting homebrew world that you can do pretty much whatever you want in but it's still Dungeons and Dragons 
Like it's still that game that you love, but it's kind of yours. Yeah. And I mean, like that, I think I even while I was watching the movie, I was thinking that's the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons is like you can go practically anywhere with this. Like you can be so creative because it's essentially just a set of rules. And sure, you can buy books that give you monsters. But like, for example, when we played and I know it was not everybody's favorite thing when I was DM, but I learned the game to the point that I could create my own monsters and they would be good for whatever level you guys were at. And I mean, if you can have game mechanics that are that intuitive that you can actually learn to make custom shit for it, because by the time we were done finishing our session, like 80% of what I did was custom and, and I loved it. And that what I'm saying is that goes back to the whole thing about this being just like a set of kind of really cool rules. I, I don't know, like Demi Gorgon or Demogorgon. I know that's a big, big final boss, but that's also been mentioned so many times in like uh, Stranger you know, Things, Stranger yeah. Things. So sure, sure. Well, I mean, next D&D movie has to have a beholder in it. Like that's. Yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> that's like the one monster that's like protected under copyright for Dungeons and Dragons. You know what I mean? Like we got to have a beholder. Let's get one. Let's get a cool. Let's get like and let's see how smart. Like, it could be, Beholders are, are, are super intelligent, they're conniving, uh, paranoid, and it would be a, a pretty fucking awesome villain, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Beholders, I will say, I guess, that is the one the one thing the original Dungeons & Dragons movie had that this one didn't, was it did have some Beholders. True, that's very sucked, true. <laughs> but they were there. <laughs> okay, I thought that was pretty good. I, I don't know, I'm just... I'm happy with it. I like you say. I think it's uh, maybe I'll watch it again in some amount of time. I'll probably watch it again with Emma, maybe if she wants to to watch it sometime. But um, I really I was happy with it, uh, and actually it it kind of, it was it was like expiring, uh, inspiring. Like I'm like I I need to play. I want to play. I want to do some of this stuff because I just kept thinking of like these scenes playing out at a table, and it, it kind of got me pumped. Well, I'm going to throw a curveball at you a little bit because I'm 99% sure I know your answer. But uh, you've given it an official rating out of 10. But in honor of our newest segment on the podcast, the regular podcast, Love It, Leave It, Pass, let's do theater, streaming, or pass. Stream. I'm stream, stream. stream. It's worth a watch, but yes. not theater. Do not need to see this in the theater. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. no matter how much the cast is literally on film begging you to see in theaters. <laughs> yeah. No. And the one last thing I got to mention, because I, I mean, I'm shoehorning this in because we're almost done. I love the randomness of Jonathan, the Aarakocra, who I mentioned. At the beginning here. <laughs> Jar- Jarnathan. Yeah. Jarnathan. So... <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan is a random, like, I think he's an Arcocra. Ar- he's like a Aarakocra, walking, yeah. yeah. walking bird humanoid. And in the beginning, Chris Pratt, like, or not, not Chris Pratt, uh, Chris Pine really wants this parole officer there of like the four. And he keeps saying, like, where's, 
Where's Jornathan? Where's Jornathan? And um, it turns out he wants Jornathan there because he's a fucking bird so he can tackle him out a window. Jornathan will fly, <laughs> fly soft land him. So he like body slam him and his eyes are like wide open. He's like, ah. <laughs> and then at the very end, they have Hugh Grant try to do the same thing. So now they boarded uh, up the window with bricks. That's good. It was awesome. Yeah. And poor Jonathan, he's just laying I know. there. Splayed poor out Jonathan. He's and he's exactly what you would think of as a humanoid bird <laughs> <laughs> being pushed out a window or slammed against a brick wall. It's, it's really good. <laughs> That's his whole parole board. You know what? No, for the second movie, I wanted to focus on the parole board. <laughs> yes. I want to see them denying parole applications from more of the prisoners in that goddamn place. <laughs> and just like all this backroom intrigue. <laughs> Yes, how they're getting bribes from from people outside of like <laughs> the Red Wizards are bribing the parole boards to get some of their people out. <laughs> and there's like this cute young female Arcokra Ar- who's Eric got like, Eric Cocker who's got like a busted wing. And you see Jonathan, he's like, oh, I gotta help her. <laughs> so Jonathan makes an escape. This stuff writes itself. Meanwhile, Dragon Child or Dra- you know. Nickel Bolas, he's like reading to children. <laughs> Dragonborn. I just want the romantic dinner between Jonathan and his Eric Hawker date where they're both just throwing up their food for each other <laughs> <laughs> into each other's mouths, just back and forth. <laughs> I just see him with those wide eyes from the movie. Yeah. He's like, Gah-gah! into each that's, other's mouth. That's their version of the Lady and the Tramp spaghetti noodle. <laughs> they just... <laughs> It's so what is that I even called when birds do that? <laughs> I don't know, puking? <laughs> no, but like when they when they feed their young, it has to have a name, right? Regurgitation? I don't know, Leland. Well, is... listener, if you know, let us let us know. <laughs> What's this? Let us know on Facebook. David Attenborough has entered the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, see here. I'm expecting a very lovely uh, and thoroughly worded email from david attenborough once he listens to this he can let us know exactly what that's called and what the process entails and and how really it's an act of compassion and 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 like a caring act between a mother bird and and her children i'm looking forward to it so so if you want to be on that list of emails like david attenborough you can visit our website as we do end of show stuff ttpodcast.com you can find all the links for our socials on facebook instagram our email address on twitter i am leland underscore steel and that is who i've been i am moby i don't know what else to say other than that i'm moby but i always enjoy being here (laughs) And hopefully you laugh at one quarter of my jokes. With that, I will say thanks for listening and take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. This production has been brought to you by Sounds of Steel Incorporated.